Chapter 10 Hi, I'm Brad McGinnity, Chief Revenue Officer at 15.5. We develop software that helps managers be better managers. We have offices in Raleigh, San Francisco, New York City, Ukraine, and lots of remote workers all over the world. Though I now oversee the entire revenue lifecycle, I previously served as the Vice President of Sales at 15.5 and Windsor Circle, a company I co-founded in 2010. Part of the reason that sales is so important in a startup is that the sales reps are your ears and eyes with potential customers. No matter how much you love your new business, your good idea only matters if people will pay for it. Your sales reps will be the first to truly know if you have product market fit. If every deal is an uphill battle, it may not indicate you hired a bad rep, it could be a warning signal about the demand for your product. With that in mind, it's essential that you make smart investments in sales as you grow your startup. The sales team you build will need to ask hard questions, be innately curious, and be capable of pivoting to new sales strategies quickly. In this chapter, David Gardner will expand on these ideas and provide expert advice on arming your sales team with the tools and training they need to be successful. Chapter 10, The Sales Manager's Hat Didn't we already talk about the sales hat and the manager's hat? Yes, but we didn't discuss the sales manager's hat. I believe this deserves its own section because getting your sales team going quickly is so important to your early survival. It is probably a hat that you are going to have to wear yourself for some time. Whereas the sales manager role is a stewardship, your frontline sales rep will need direct hands-on management. Great salespeople tend to be good communicators, tenacious, and resourceful, but organized? Not so much. They often shoot from the hip and chase anything that moves, rather than implementing a disciplined process that ensures statistical success. Salespeople, especially those new to the profession, need structure. It's one of those catch-22 situations for a startup. You are most likely not going to be able to recruit a superstar sales manager until your company demonstrates some traction, and you can't demonstrate traction without sales. So regardless of whether you have any sales management in your background, this is a hat you are going to have to wear for a while and a job that you are going to have to master very quickly. The first thing you need to do is arm your sales team with the tools they need to sell effectively. If you haven't given them the necessary weapons and armor, then it should not surprise you if they get slaughtered on the battlefield. I've discussed most of the sales tools your team will need in the marketing hat chapter. Just because you might have been good enough to close deals without some of these tools doesn't mean that your sales team will. They need a master deck, competitive analysis, objections handling responses, scripts, case studies, white papers, and whatever other precious tools you can provide. These tools will increase their productivity dramatically, like giving a ditch digger a shovel and a pick. I was once asked to help a company decide which sales team members should be let go to create openings for better performing hires. It took me less than an hour to review the pitiful few tools and training they had been provided. My counsel was to keep all of the salespeople, but fire the marketing and sales managers. It's just wrong to fire anyone until you have given them every opportunity to succeed. And for salespeople, this means ample collateral, 
training, leads, and management. Unless your B2B sales are entirely self-service website transactions or through channel partners, you are going to need a well-trained direct sales team. After providing your team with the tools they need, you then have to take the time to train them in how to use those tools. Have your reps present to you over and over again. Pepper them with objections, stopping to discuss each response and how it could be improved. When they've got it pitch perfect, let them listen in as you present to prospects. Only then do you let them present to prospects, and this is done together as a team for a while. My portfolio companies have told me that some of the most valuable assistance I gave early on to them was taking the time to listen to their salespeople present to prospects and providing each of them with feedback. Feedback right after a salesperson presents is extremely effective, but this will be difficult for you to do. You will probably be desperate for sales, and the urge to jump in to take over the presentation when it's not perfect will be overwhelming. However, do not give in to that impulse. Sit quietly and feverishly take copious notes. A well-trained sales rep is the gift that will keep on giving. Training that rep through a live fire exercise is far more important than making any one sale. Keep quiet and let the rep do the presenting. It is impossible for a direct sales team to do their job without a CRM, and it is impossible for you to effectively manage your sales team without one. The most difficult part of using Salesforce.com, Sugar CRM, or any other great CRM tool on the market is not learning how to use the tool, but rather enforcing its proper use. Whoever is wearing the sales manager hat must occasionally get out a whip and make it perfectly clear to the sales team that using the company's CRM tool is not optional. Nothing but total adherence to its consistent use will be tolerated. Successful sales teams follow their sales CRM protocols religiously because this is the only way that they can keep up with the thousands of contracts, emails, and follow-ups necessary to achieve quota. This is also the only way that sales management can get the metrics needed to understand the sales cycle, coach the sales team, and forecast revenue and cash flow needs accurately. When it comes to managing a sales team, there is one important principle you have to keep in mind. You cannot manage a sales quota. You can only manage the activities that will most likely produce the desired quota. Sales activities are things like phone calls, emails, meetings, presentations, follow-ups, quotes, and reminders. The biggest obstacle to most sales professionals' success is the lack of documentation discipline. They believe the big lie. The big lie in sales is that some things are so important that there's no way you could ever forget to do them. I'm so excited after that great sales call that I'm sure I'll remember to follow up a week from now. There's no way I could forget that this decision maker is considering that competitor or has this objection or is influenced by that person. A successful sales rep is constantly in the midst of a flurry of activities with ever-changing parameters. Weeks can go by before the next critically important activity is required. The busier sales reps get, the more they give in to the lie. They justify the lie by reasoning that they are so busy right now that they don't have time to document that discussion or to schedule that follow-up. I'll remember to schedule that follow-up or send that document off tomorrow. 
It never ceases to amaze me the important things I can totally forget to do when I'm super busy and under great stress. But there is a simple solution for total organization in sales using a CRM. Everyone who worked for me knew it well. I would start the mantra by saying, do it immediately, and they would finish in unison or schedule it. This is the golden rule of sales organization. There is no other way to maintain the required activity level in sales and keep it all under control. Besides enforcing the proper use of the company's CRM, one of the sales manager's key responsibilities is to help save sales reps from themselves. The way we achieve this is by establishing and tracking sales activity quotas. The right mix and volume of required sales activities is different for each unique business and sales cycle. If you believe that a new rep needs to make 70 phone calls per day to get three demos that will render one new customer sale, then establish these as activity quotas and build them into the written job description. Reviewing activity metrics is an important part of your one-on-one -on -one rep meetings each week. Activity quotas help reps stay focused when the tasks that need to get done happen to be less enjoyable than other parts of their job description. Unless you are really into self-masochism, interrupting busy executives via cold calls is most likely not at the top of your list of most enjoyable activities. Humans tend to gravitate subconsciously towards the activities that they find more comfortable. In sales, this is referred to as call reluctance. Reps can come up with all kinds of important things they need to be doing rather than making their sales calls. Presentations need polishing, bids need to be reread, and favorite friendly customers need to be chatted. These are all well and good, but often such things can simply be a form of call reluctance, providing reps with a subconscious excuse not to do the less enjoyable, but the necessary parts of their jobs. Having activity metrics is similar to setting goals or counting your repetitions when exercising. They keep us focused so we don't shortchange the less pleasant but important activities. Another big part of sales success is in being able to show up at the right time. I always trained my reps to listen for cues when scheduling follow-ups. If you hear, we will start working on our new budget in the fall. And if the purchase of your product has to be budgeted, then early fall would be an excellent time to schedule a follow-up. The clues are abounding. Bill will be back in the office in two weeks. I can't consider anything new until I finish my current project next month. The new IT director starts in April. If you don't hear a clue and you know you've got the right decision maker, then just ask, when would be an appropriate time for me to follow up with you? A lot of what a sales rep does is determine when to follow up with a prospective customer. If you are making hundreds of contacts a week, this is impossible to manage without a CRM. If you've identified some whales, decision makers who could make a very large purchase, and they don't call you back or respond to your emails, you will still want to remember to schedule touch points from time to time to remind you to send over a helpful article or webinar invite. Over time, as reps listen to prospects and schedule follow-ups accordingly, you will notice that their follow-up call to sales ratio goes way up. This is because they are calling back more often at just the right moment. 
I used to ask my reps if they'd like to have a magic crystal ball that would tell them each morning which prospects were ready to buy. I'd let them fantasize about how awesome that would be, and then I'd tell them how to build a very similar instrument. Beyond a simple scheduler, a good CRM will also help your reps manage their time most efficiently. Find a CRM that enables you to schedule both timed and untimed, timeless, events slash activities. Untimed activities slash tasks are activities with a date but no time associated with it. It is also important to make sure that the CRM you choose supports the automatic rolling forward of untimed activities to the next day if they are not cleared. This feature is a must for time management when selling. Stay with me on this and I'll explain why. A sales rep's day is full of activities, which are either timed or untimed. Timed events are things that must be done at a specific time, like an internal meeting or a demo scheduled with a customer for 2 p.m. Untimed events are things like cold calls and follow-ups that don't have to be done at an exact time or even on a specific day. If you need to follow up with a prospect in the spring, for example, then it probably doesn't matter if you do it at 9 a.m. or 3 p.m. or even on the first or third of the month. In fact, you could probably do it anytime over a two-week period. Sales reps need a CRM that enables them to schedule both timed and untimed activities. This really simplifies time management for your reps, who now simply have to do the timed activities when scheduled and chip away at the untimed events in between. The untimed activities that you don't get to today automatically roll over to tomorrow. I know this sounds ridiculously simple and obvious, but as Einstein once said, everything appears obvious once you think of it. You'd be amazed at the number of expensive CRMs available today that don't even support untimed activities. A good sales rep very quickly generates hundreds and even thousands of untimed follow-up events slash tasks. It is impossible to manage these without a CRM that makes this distinction. I often point out that in sales, all we really have is our time and how we choose to use it. Your best rep and your worst rep have the same number of hours to work each day. The only difference between them is how each chooses to use those hours. The reports you get out of your CRM, if you know how to interpret them, can also give you precious insights into how to better manage and coach your reps. For example, if you see a rep with a high activity volume but a low sales volume, then this usually indicates a training rather than an effort issue. These reps are working hard and getting in front of a lot of prospects, but not making sales. So either they are selling to the wrong prospects or just not selling well in general. If you see a rep with a low activity volume but a high sales volume, then you probably have an order taker. Consider splitting his or her territory or handing off some house accounts and leads to the newer reps. I always keep an eye on how many untimed calls each of my reps had rolling forward on average. If you don't see any untimed activities rolling forward, then either the rep is extremely new, not working hard, or has not yet grasped the concepts from your time management training. If the majority of your reps have good sales volume and lots of untimed activities rolling forward for extended periods of time, then it's probably time for you to increase the size of your sales force. A common practice today is to promote your best sales rep to sales manager. 
This generally does not end well. Although some skills overlap, sales management requires a lot more skills than selling. In the recruiting chapter, I referenced the sales 80-20 rule or norm, which states that in most companies, on average, about 80% of the sales revenue is generated by only 20% of their sales team. So tell me, if two out of 10 reps can exceed quota, then why can't the other eight? There are many reasons for this sad statistic, including, but not limited to, poor recruiting and hiring processes, lack of superior sales collateral, non-existent or token-only sales training, etc. I believe that by far the biggest contributing factor to this statistic is simply poor sales management. Without guidance, some reps that are most likely entrepreneurs themselves at heart figure out things on their own while the rest flounder around scraping by or waiting to get fired. The reason I know this is true is because on many occasions after working with a company to implement good sales management, I find that the 80-20 rule seems to no longer apply. When someone is properly wearing the sales manager hat, you will find that the sales revenue numbers from almost every member of the team are clustered close together. They all become the 20%. Keep in mind that sales training should be an ongoing process. Part of the sales manager's job is to keep the sales team informed. The sales team should be some of the first employees to know about product updates, serious bugs, and changes to the roadmap so they are never caught off guard. Competitive updates should be done regularly as well as reviews of new or improved sales collateral. I would meet once a week with my sales teams as a group and once a week with my team members individually. The group meetings are great for building morale, sharing success stories, reviewing the team's overall performance, and for setting team goals and competitions. The individual meetings provide an opportunity to review a rep's specific activity and sales metrics, discuss stuck sales, and to coach as needed. Don't forget to review fundamental sales techniques a few times each year with the team, like the ones discussed in the chapter on selling. Gentlemen, this is a football. Basic blocking and tackling skills need to be sharpened from time to time. In my experience, sales are usually lost not because of some fancy new technique that wasn't learned, but rather because of some very fundamental skill that was forgotten. Prospecting is different from selling. Selling is all about the perfect placement of facts and benefit statements to a known decision maker. Prospecting is the art and process of finding and pre-qualifying those decision makers so the sales process can begin. I've come to believe that a sales rep who is twice as skilled at prospecting will always outsell the rep who is twice as good at selling. Why? Because it's always easier to find hungry people than it is to make people hungry. In other words, and as I've said before, just showing up at the right place at the right time is over half the battle. You will win zero of the battles you don't show up for. Skillful prospecting is powerful because it significantly increases the probability of showing up at the right time. I talked a lot about lead generation in the section on marketing, so I'm going to focus now on how to train your sales team to follow up on those leads. Let's assume now that you have a steady stream of leads coming in to distribute to your sales team. They have come from lots of different sources. There's that list of contacts you purchased, responders to your last content offer, web inquiries, conference attendees, etc. 
Prospects will range from a very warm, I want to call back now kind of lead to a very chilly, who the hell are you cold call. Probing questions work well for the former, but the latter requires some technique. Dale Carnegie once said that if an important person talked to everyone who wanted an audience, then that person would not be important for very long. When you call someone who does not know you nor expects your call, you are an interruption. When the phone first rings, you are an unknown. You might be a friend or a co-worker. So for the first few seconds, the individual is all ears. This opportunity should not be squandered. You have about 20 seconds to either live or die, so don't waste time with pleasantries or small talk. The first all-consuming question your prospect will have is, who is this calling me? If you don't answer this unvoiced question immediately, then there's a good chance that your prospects will not hear your next few sentences as they ponder various possibilities. If you tell them who you are immediately, then their minds will move quickly to their next question, which is, how do you know about me, slash, get my number, and then, why are you calling, slash, contacting me? If you don't offer up this information quickly, then there's a good chance that they won't be listening to the other things you talk about as they continue to speculate. As soon as they know all of these things, the next thought to enter most prospects' mind is, how can I politely end this interruption? You must get to your value proposition prior to your prospect getting to this question. So never ask if this is a good time to talk or your prospect will jump straight to the last question above. In the very first 20 seconds, you need to communicate three things in rapid succession. One, who you are. Two, how you got their contact information slash why you are calling. Three, the most important thing you can do for them or their organization. As soon as you have provided this information, you should move to a probing question that is either open-ended or one that will generate a yes response. For example, content requester prospect, warm call. Hello, Mr. Jones. My name is Amanda Smith. I noticed that you requested our white paper slash content regarding X. My job is to assist companies that are considering slash evaluating X. I'm interested to find out what you thought of our paper and if there are any X-related issues with which I might be able to assist you. Purchased lead prospect. Cold call. Hello, Mr. Jones. My name is Amanda Smith. I saw that you were listed as the X job title slash decision maker for your company in source or... I saw that you attended the X conference, etc. My job is to assist organizations considering X or to help them with X-related issues or to work with organizations that want to avoid, problem, or get, benefit. Has your organization ever tried, slash, consider, slash, been concerned about, etc. X-related issue? Get the prospect engaged in talking with you by quickly communicating your value, expertise, and ability to help. My organization has assisted a number of companies facing X issue or wanting X benefit. Train your team to always start by discussing the business solution or problem rather than your product. Prospects don't care about the drill, so discuss their need for holes, the problem of not having good holes, how current hole creation techniques are too slow, expensive, or inaccurate, etc. 
If the prospect throws out an objection to shut you down, then use your objection handling techniques. We already have a tool that takes care of X. A lot of my best clients said the same thing before they realized, slash, considered, slash, compared. If you get your prospect talking, let him or her run. Learn all you can about the company, budget, decision makers, current solution, biases, previous experiences, etc. If you get a talker giving you intelligence, keep them going by continuing to ask open-ended probing questions. Take notes as fast as you can type. If the prospect says that he or she is very busy, up against a deadline, or in a meeting, then do not continue. Apologize for the interruption and ask when would be a better time for you to call again. If you are given a date slash time, make sure you reference it when you call back. Hi, Mr. Jones. This is Amanda Smith again. When we last spoke, you had asked me to call back today concerning... Framing the call back this way will cause the prospect to feel obligated to speak with you. Even though prospects may have simply been trying to get rid of you as quickly as possible, they did ask you to call again at this time, so they feel now that they should at least hear you out. After you've gathered all of the information you can from a prospect about the targeted account, and before you spend a lot of time selling, you need to qualify the prospect as the right decision maker or at least one of the decision makers for your product or solution. Are you the person in your organization that would evaluate and make purchasing decisions regarding? Map the account. Who else would be involved in this decision? Do you have a budget set aside for this? How soon do you plan to make this decision? Many times the person you are speaking with is not the decision maker you seek, but he or she may still be a valuable source of information and referrals. So who would be tasked with evaluating solutions like this? Can you give me his or her number? An internal referral really warms up a cold call. Hi, Mr. Jones. My name is Amanda Smith. Sue Keller suggested that I should give you a call because the prospect reasons that if Sue referred you, then she must think what you have to say has value. Don't worry if you aren't getting through to your primary decision makers on your first few calls. In fact, this can be a good thing because it gives you time to gather intelligence that can help you better target your pitch. For example, I was once selling a tool that helped healthcare providers securely communicate patient records. There were dozens of facts and benefits we could state about our product. But after talking to the wrong person at a major hospital chain, I learned two important things. First was the guy's name that was most likely the decision maker with the authority and budget to buy my product. And the second was that he had just been given a mandate to make sure that all hospital systems were HIPAA privacy compliant. This was a minor benefit of my product. But when I called the decision maker, I modified my opening to say, my job is to help our customers ensure that all of their patient communications are efficient and HIPAA compliant. We talked for nearly an hour, and he became one of my biggest accounts. As with most sales skills, great prospecting has to be practiced, and the best practice technique is role-playing. Act it out. Pretend to be the decision-maker that each of your reps is calling. After each role-play, ask your team what the role-playing rep did well or miss in the conversation. Part of wearing the sales manager hat is to continuously be sharpening the skills of your team. 
I would occasionally stand unnoticed and listen to my team members on the phone to assess how they were doing and who might need additional coaching or praise. I'm not a big fan of hiring an agency to do lead qualification because this approach requires you to forfeit a lot of the control that makes a great sales manager worth his or her weight in gold. In the early days, you need to hear the objections firsthand to perfect your product and pitch. If you do use an agency, make sure you give them a proven script to use and a detailed definition of what a qualified lead is, especially if you are paying them on a per-lead basis. Otherwise, your sales team could waste a lot of time presenting to unqualified leads. The final responsibility I want to touch on regarding the sales manager hat is that of a cheerleader. Sales, and particularly prospecting, can be grueling and demoralizing. Prospects can be cruel and demeaning to your team while doing their job. Always keep this in mind and try to keep spirits up amongst your team. Position yourself as a mentor who hungers for their individual success rather than a taskmaster cracking the whip. Celebrate every victory publicly. Constantly encourage your team. I know you can do this. I believe in you. Yes, we lost this one, but brush it off and get back on the horse. You got this. Having your team members share both good and bad experiences together in the group meeting can be very encouraging. Remind your team that they are professionals and try to enjoy the thrill of the chase. Games are only fun if they present us with a challenge that we must overcome. If a game is not challenging, then we quickly lose interest. My father loves fishing more than any person I've ever known. I've seen him patiently circle my lake for hours, casting his line and catching nothing on a cold day. He patiently keeps working his process, changing lures, location, speed, depth, and dozens of other subtle variables I've yet to fully understand. Eventually, he always seems to pull one in, no matter how harsh the conditions or how long it takes. He explained it to me once. The true fisherman does not begrudge each cast that does not produce a fish. It's all part of the joy of fishing. Remind your team to enjoy the process and its challenges. Make it a game. If you've prepared them well and given them the tools and encouragement they need, then success never seems further away than the next cast. That concludes this chapter of The Startup Hats, Master the Many Roles of the Entrepreneur by David Gardner. If you like this chapter and you can't wait for the next one in a week, you can download and listen to the entire audiobook on Audible. Startup Hats is sponsored by Forest Firm, a full-service law firm and certified B Corporation with offices across North Carolina and clients around the globe. The Forest Firm mission is to provide legal services that consistently exceed client expectations, create healthy, sustainable work environments for professionals, and positively impact the communities where they live and work. For more information, head on over to forestfirm.com. For more information on the work that David Gardner is doing with his venture capital firm, visit cofounderscapital.com. Startup Hats is a production of EarFluence and read by me, Dave Clark. You can find more information on EarFluence podcast at EarFluence.com.